good start. First end of first tackle, first pass, make it a fucking good one, lads, and then you start yourself off then. And your fucking first tackle. Let's not fucking forget that. Fucking look forward to it. Fucking get out there, fucking roll your sleeves up and start fucking working. Right from the first fucking whistle. Any fucking tackle through shirts. And then when we get it, fucking pass it. Don't pass, man, don't pass square when you can fucking go on and do something with it. Now, any space, run it in. Run it in, X. Don't get turning out. Run it in. Run it into space. Nick, it's same with you, mate. If you get past the Nick, run it all the way. Pass it, get off of it. All the fucking fastest route to the heart of the Owls AmeriCast Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent is a straight line 20 yards in the air. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. This week, uh, I am back on my tour of American classic cocktails, although I've given this one a British twist, which I will get to. I'm drinking an Old Fashioned, which is arguably the oldest cocktail in American history. There are many variations. You might be familiar with the one with muddled fruit in it, which is a bit of a divisive one. Although, as the father of the modern craft cocktail, Dale DeGroff says, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of boozy fruit punch. I am going with the original recipe, which is just bourbon, bitters, and sugar. My sugar, though, is a infused simple syrup. I took a little bit of Taylor's of Harrogate, English breakfast tea, a cinnamon stick, a few cardamom pods, and a little bit of ginger, and made an infused simple. Give us some chai spices, because I think someone this week desperately needs to add a little spice to a Yorkshire institution, and it's not going to be the new manager. Uh, If I were a man with a better stocked non-pandemic bar, I might have Scrappy's cardamom bitters, or uh, the Bitter Truths Jerry Thomas decanter bitters has a nice cinnamon note to play up the overall cocktail flavors but i just use regular old angostura bitters but it's quite nice also on the show this week an american twist on an english classic it's patty jones patty what are you drinking yeah i can't believe you went all the way through that old-fashioned uh conversation didn't do a draw a line to old-fashioned style of play and totally put i went with Uh, a different direction (laughs) but i'm back this week i've got no more fancy shitty light teas or light beers i have not one but two craft ales uh i'm finishing off a um a delightful new york style cheesecake sour from brick city which has got like you sniff it you smell the graham crackers and the cream and then you drink it at the berries it's delicious and then i'm gonna pop open pretty quickly the uh, parrot jams which is a version of their tasty jams double Dry hops, New England IPA with guava and pineapple. It's all delicious. In his closet in Queens, I'm sure with a local beer of his own. It's James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Um, I'll tell you what, Paddy's a revelation post-diet, isn't he? It's all fruit <laughs> beers and uh, and all sorts of exciting, delicious notes. Um, 
you guys continue to upstage me when it comes to what I'm drinking. I'm just drinking a regular old uh, double dry hop New England IPA. Um, this one's from Fifth Hammer, um, and it's called Runway Turtles, which is a reference to the turtles that apparently crawl onto the runway at JFK at this time of year, which presumably now are kind of nesting all over the runway because no one's fucking flying anywhere. Um, so, yeah, simple beer, simple night. Also on the line in the general Boston area, it's uh, Justin DeSorger, or as we call him, JD. JD, what are you drinking? Only my friends call me that. I'm drinking uh, Barnstable Brewing Company's Sweet Night for S'mores, a sweet stout. Um, not too bad, and nice to support a uh, very uh, local craft brewery that opened up in the last couple of years. A couple of guys out of a more or less out of a house, and they've been able to expand pretty well and make a variety of good stuff. So, um, and I suppose you're right, Jeff. Cape Cod is the general Boston general. <laughs> most of Eastern New England. <laughs> Most of our listeners are in Yorkshire, so I don't know how well they know uh, American geography. That's a bit like saying that, I don't know, uh, Birmingham is in the general Sheffield vicinity. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's greater Boston. That's it, Without getting too deep into it, Boston itself is about 600,000 people. It's not the largest city. Greater Boston, what, what encompasses its you know inner, inner suburbs, which are mostly decent-sized cities, and then out into sort of your typical white flight type suburbs um it's a million and a half people so you know it's it's a pretty large geographical area uh that constitutes uh boston when people will will make it let's uh, let's give the brits a bit of a reference point though just you're in falmouth right correct what's the drive time to boston 70 minutes yeah it's birmingham <laughs> So you cannot, famous, you cannot, famous you cannot town. congrats on living in Birmingham. Not compare driving in England to driving in the States. It's just not, it's not there. I mean, actually getting from the outer suburbs to Boston takes 60 of those 70 minutes, usually with traffic. So <laughs> that again, well, we don't have any games to review. We do have some games to preview. We do have a new manager who had a press conference. So we've decided to do a Tony Pulis roundtable and get our thoughts on the new manager's first press conference, what the team might look like on Saturday and going forward. So I will start with Patty. Patty, what do you think the lineup slash formation looks like against Preston? Uh, right. So he's, he's dropped a few. So from his presser, which we have, the only thing we have to go on so far, that was his first day in the job, remember two. So I think there's going to be a couple of obvious um, uh, winners and losers out of the old uh, Poulis uh, system. Firstly, since I was like West was his first choice goalkeeper, he's made that decision <laughs> within, within 24 hours. Of Has he even been training with the team for the last three months? He hasn't even got a contract with the club at the moment. <laughs> we can't even, well, he's got a contract, but no, right. regi- he's not registered with right. the World League. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently Dawson and Wildsmith are already out of the door. So um, that I thought was an unbelievable take as, as soon as he walks through the door. Uh some other kind of nuggets that we can glean from uh, from him was that he only classes Jordan Rhodes and Windass as our two strikers. He doesn't think any of the other ones are strikers. I mean, he so might much, be right. <laughs> well, yeah, even so much as saying on Patterson, he's not sure he's the forward others thought he was. <laughs> so uh, he's not really... Um, like I said, the, the, the press conference itself was so, so illuminating. He certainly didn't pull any punches. Um, but uh, he certainly also would have 
put a few noses out, right? He's, he's um, he doesn't, he doesn't, he kind of calls it as it is, and I kind of it was kind of refreshing to see that. Uh, so for me, I think against Preston, what we might see is uh, Rhodes starting. I think we might see um, Westwood starting, and I think we might drop back to the uh, to the four four two formation. So he likes to play his old centre halves as right backs and get as much height in there as possible. So I think we might see uh, Ayofa go right back, depending on who's fit in the back. Who knows who's fit? Um, so yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, other than that, it's kind of a shit show, isn't it? it depends who's available. He's, he's bemoaned the injuries that we've had, uh, and apparently there's two more people injured as well that you mentioned in the press so that he didn't mention names. So that the injury list has grown rather than shrunk. So. Who knows? Can uh, make the uh, make the grade on Saturday. I mean, I we we discussed it briefly, um, so I'll sort of counterpoint you a little bit. I wasn't particularly uh, impressed with the press conference, not in the sense that I didn't think he did a good job. He did a good job uh, when we talked on the pod last week, Jeff and I, I. I think I stuck up for Pulis quite a bit in the sense that he is a very successful manager who has managed a long time in a lot of places. And to me, he knows how to handle a press conference. He said all of the right things uh, for the most part, um, you know, talking up the club, talking up the fans. I'm just a, what was his line? I'm, I'm merely a steward of the club. Right. Um, you know, made some good jokes. Uh, you had that line about uh, getting back to work. Oh, I went downstairs and my wife already had my bags packed. Uh you know, Tony he, he's Pulis very much a, a British manager of a certain age. Yeah, and he's an absolute pro at it, right? He's he's we we talked last week about how successful he's been, but I I just didn't think you know, Patty, not to be rude to you, but I I didn't think that much was illuminating. Um, to use the word you did, e- even the the Kieran Westwood thing, it's just a smart move to say that off the bat. You've got somebody who's known to be a bit prickly and has been put off by previous managers. You pump his tires a little bit, see if you can get him back into the mix. And from him, the absolute worst case is Westwood comes back and sadly, as I suspect, is a 37-year-old in poor form who hasn't played much in recent years. Tony gives him a shot and then says, all right, lad, thanks for the attempt. Off you go. And nobody bats an eye. He wasn't just pumping him up. He, he pretty much dismissed our other two starting strikers and said that West was the first choice goalkeeper. I don't think this was a kind of paying lip service to bring his confidence up. This was his, his, his putting a stake in the ground saying Westwood's my first choice goalkeeper. That's Did why he I know think he's, he's not even registered? That's how much he rates Dawson and Wildsmith. He's trying his best to get him registered before Saturday. That's why I think it was illuminating. I think he was being like over, overly honest uh, to put that stake in the ground straight away. Let's uh, let's just take a little kind of wonder into the world of Segway for a second, uh, or maybe an analog, which might help us a little bit, particularly Paddy, because I know how much you like music, right? So uh, the Stone Roses are reforming, <laughs> right? It's a massive yeah, it's good, Stone good Roses for our under thirty oh. American audience. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, right. So 50,000 people who have been starved of live Stone Roses music cram into a field in Northern England. And, you know, the kind of the, the guitars start playing in, Brown comes bouncing out, everyone roars, this is amazing. Somebody, a manager who can actually talk to a press conference, that's a good start. Um, hey, he's got a goalkeeper that everyone recognises, Kieran Westwood, that could work. He recognises that Sheffield Wednesday don't have strikers. 
they play one hit and then it all goes an awful lot downhill. <laughs> where I know that Stone Rose are very good in that comeback gig. At well, I think they were in one gig, but I'm not sure they were in, in the, uh, the comeback album. And then Ian Brown turned into a raging fascist. What I'm trying to get to though, is I think we're all buying a song right now. And this isn't yes. actually a slight on Tony yep. Pulis, but one good press conference recalling a goalkeeper who two or three separate managers have all decided probably doesn't fit for the future of the club and recognising the fact that maybe we've only got two real strikers in the club doesn't add up to me as a dawn of a new era. It just really kind of, it feels like somebody who can talk a good footballing game. Now, let's see if we can deliver on that. But my point is, I, I just worry that we're buying into just something, anything, kind of grabbing onto the last vestiges of football history and not onto a real future for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, I disagree a little bit. Um, I'm not hanging all my hope on the the Westwood and the honesty. I think he did come across very well. It was an hour and 15 minutes he gave to the press. Um, he spoke to countless journalists who um, all asked the same questions, and he still did it with the kind of grace and, like I say, a professional kind of job. But I, I liked that there were some other points I wanted to bring out that I thought was different to what I would expect. And first of all, what I've seen other managers do too. So... Uh, He's he's already talking about his relationship with the chairman and how he wants to. His biggest challenge is to convince the chairman that they're friends and that he can trust him, which to me speaks volumes. The fact that DC has been very open in the fact that he thinks all managers are snakes, (laughs) 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 been burned by Bruce and a few others. Um, But he's he's opened up his arms and says he wants to go for dinner. And actually, I think Justin says in the WhatsApp group, you might want to come to, to Justin. That um, he actually almost felt a bit bitter about DC not being in the country, uh, not being present when to hire him, and he wants to get to know him more, and he wants to actually take him out for dinner uh, and get to know him. So I think that in itself was quite refreshing. And where, do, where does Tony Pulis take a uh, chairman out to dinner? <laughs> well, hold on. Just in current circumstances, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take anybody out for dinner. You're in lockdown for crying out loud. Anyway, um, I don't think Pulis knows this lockdown. He's been like in his own house for 18 months anyway. (laughs) Uber (laughs) eats some Nando's or something? No, I I think James James is seeing it the the same way I am in that, um, you know, Tony Pulis gave a press conference that was certainly enjoyable and he he showed that he is competent. Um, But again, that's, to me, that's what we expect when you hire... Tony Pulis, you're not getting, you know, you're getting a man of experience and wisdom who, who knows how to do this. And I'm a little concerned with James that there is too much of the fan base just looking to desperately and understandably desperately grab on to something. But as I think Jeff and I mentioned last week, this is the same fan base that when Gary Monk's PR guy made a professional statement of goodbye half the fan base went from fuck off, get out of my club to, Oh, nice guy, Gary, good luck going forward. And suddenly Tony Pulis, who most, I would say from what I saw online and I know how I feel, this wasn't um, seen as a, a hiring that really sparked a lot of interest or, or uh, enthusiasm. He gives one pretty good press conference and suddenly Everybody can't wait for Tony Pulis to piss the whole league because we're going up. And, you know, I'm just very hesitant to make any significant um, 
you know, commentary or, or suggestion until we see what happens on that football field. Well, you have to keep in mind, too, I think that we all remember and view the 1990s as the glory days of the club. And Tony Pulis I mean, literally started his managing career in the 90s, but is a very 1990s manager. Like he knows how to give that kind of attaboy up and at him opening presser because he had 14 jobs at this point had to give that press conference 14 times sometimes at the same club more than once and like that's all well and good you know is it refreshing i mean we i'm sure we said the same thing about steve bruce and his first presser because they're cut from from similar claws and so sort of p general pr media strategy you know gary monk didn't have that club in his bag joss luakai didn't have that club in his bag you know, Carlos was charming, although in a different way. Stuart Gray was, uh, you know, just right. uh, right, Stuart Gray. Uh, Dave Jones was prickly at best. Um, uh, how far back am I going to go? I mean, <laughs> Gary, we're going back at Mego at that point, which is, you know, we don't need we're to go back beyond competency. That's yeah. Sure. <laughs> so ultimately, this is all whatever. This is gilding the lily. This is window dressing. It's all we have to go on. Well, but when it comes down to it, like Tony Pulis was hired to do a job and it was to keep Sheffield Wednesday up this year. And if you look at his recent record in the championship and even the Premier League, because he's not that far removed from it, he's a very capable manager. Now, there's a shelf life for it because when he's getting results, it's great. He got West Brom to the top half of the Premier League. He kept Stoke up for a decade when they probably should have been relegated a half dozen different times. But none of these clubs remember him fondly because once it goes bad, you're just playing shit football. Yeah, I mean, so there's one thing I've got to take issue with, Jeff. Hmm. He hasn't been hired to keep us up. In Dayfon Chancery's slightly warped universe, he's been hired to get us into the playoffs. 13 points off the playoffs, James. Yes, quite. Well, you know, that's six points closer than we were two weeks ago. <laughs> it's um, true. And, and that's a serious point, right? Yeah. And now to give Pulis his credit, I think in his press conference, one comment he made, which I thought was fair, was, you know, everyone talks about his ability to keep Stoke in the Premier League, but what about the fact that he took Stoke into Europe or the fact that, you know, at times Stoke were playing in the top half of the Premier League? You know, he, he does point out he has achieved things. So I'll give anybody the rub of the green and, you know, to the, the point that was just made, let's see what happens on the pitch. Um, let's see how his results play out. But if you were saying who's the manager who's going to transform Sheffield Wednesday from this underachieving Titanic of football club into a playoff contender again in six months in the middle of a pandemic with two recognized strikers and a lot of right backs playing up front. Tony Pulis wouldn't have been top of my list, but it appears he was not only top of our list. Now he was top of the list when we hired Gary Monk as well. He just didn't want the job back then. So there's, there's some interesting dynamics going on there. Apparently, he's close with Amadeo Paxiao, um, obviously DC's um, close advisor. I, I just have this question, this lingering question about who is the person who is going to revolutionise Sheffield Wednesday? Who's going to put a rocket up us and change the way that this club operates? And I'm just, I find it just as underwhelming to think it's Tony Pulis as I did to think it was Gary Monk. So here's the thing. Um the sort of the first rumors around Pulis's hire was that it was going to be a short-term deal till the end of the season. That didn't end up playing out. And 
you know, Justin and I talked about this last week, where sort of the idea that, like, you know, if you thought Gary Monk could get you out of this hole with a 12-point deduction, now that it's only six, why are you firing him? But, you know, if Chancery came out and said, you know, this is this is the firefighter, you know, I wanted him last year when I thought we were under the under the cosh with FFP and everything else. I thought he'd be the guy to steady the club coming off the Steve Bruce situation. And then, you know, at the end of the year, you go out and hire Ryan Lowe to sort of take that next step. Or you don't have to say that outright, but if that's sort of like the plan, or you get that, you know, that sort of next young manager with a plan, I that would be a, a, a different thing than what we're looking at. But you know, we're only a couple of years away from Pulis getting Middlesbrough into the playoffs. And, we can say that you know Middlesbrough had a better roster than Wednesday has now. I don't know if that's entirely true, but um, he does have a long track record of success in, in this league and the Premier League. And look, we know exactly what we're going to get. But I was thinking about this watching... Well, not watching the. I mean, I thought about while we were watching the Millwall game, but especially in hindsight after Pulis was brought in, how many like ostensibly good, successful championship teams do we see playing the same shitty, ripped off from Pep Guardiola, playing out from the back style poorly, with varying degrees of success? Times isn't there, right? That's why I think. Pulis is good at, and that's why I think he's the right man for the job at the right time right now, because we've got a bunch of players that lack discipline, that lack consistency, that lack really a kind of passion for the club and the work they're in. Now, one thing I think you'll get with Tony Pulis is he'll put Rocky up their arse, which a lot of our fans will also go on board with, and he'll get, he'll whittle out the ones that want to play uh, and maybe get more out of the ones that don't want to play. And if you can't get either of those bars, you're on, you're out the door. I, th- I feel like Pulis is our first no-nonsense manager, barring Bruce for six months, we've had in a long, long time, maybe since Megson. And these players that we've had on the books for a long, long time, we've got rid of a few, obviously, last season, need someone like that to get the best out of them. Uh, so for me, I think, yeah, he's not as inspiring uh, Ryan Lowe. He's not a kind of flashy gamble on uh, Marco uh, Silva, young dynamic manager. Yeah, <sighs> he's someone that is a safe pair of hands and is someone that I think is probably going to get the best out of this current set of players we've got in the club. I and, and this is this is where I really get stuck with with Pulis and this decision to make the long term goal is I think every single thing that you just said, Patty, is absolutely correct. And I think that Tony Pulis bringing him in, I mean, like I would bet my house on us staying up right now. I think he's going to settle things downhill, as you say, put a rocket up players' ass. I think he'll have us, you know, maximizing the talent that we have. But when I look at the way that you go up from the championship and the way that teams go up, uh, nobody goes up anymore doing that sort of 90s British football. Neil, 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 Neil Warnock's Cardiff City oh, would so, like so, to have so, a word so. with you. <laughs> so the one the one exception that I have found is Neil Warnock's Cardiff City. I, I mean, thought I, that team was the second worst team <laughs> I've ever seen go up from the championship. Obviously, that Huddersfield, Huddersfield Town team was was atrocious. They had no business getting involved with I that. Mean, I would but say aside, is... aside from Warnock, 
Look Sh- Sean Dyche's Burnley is not. I mean, it's a different style, but it's the same kind of you know hardworking. How long, how long ago was that? How long ago was that? Burnley, but they, they, they just had to go back up like two years ago. But yeah, it, it was a little longer than that. Football has changed a lot in just over the last five years. We're, we're talking about the change of style. Look, look at the championship. When we were watching five years ago, it was every oh, bunch of different styles, and it's a. You know, the big, you know, the the British number nine and all this and that. The teams that are successful in the championship now are using continental strategies. They are playing 4-3-3. They are moving the ball on the ground. They are playing progressive football and they're getting to the Premier League. Teams that lump it long and play a 4-4-2 cannot be relegated, but they're not the teams that are going up. That's what we want to do. Pulis short term, awesome. Long term, I don't know. The thing is, I I don't think that necessarily the answer to how do you get out of the championship is a formation or even a playing style. So I think you can get out of the championship playing Tony Pulis football. I think you can get out of the championship playing Pep Guardiola light football. The difference, I think, is that the teams that get out of the championship are the teams that have a true sense of togetherness that put together consistent runs of form over an extended period of attritional games and that have that spark of difference within their squad. And to do that, you need somebody who can gel a team, which Pulis can arguably do, but you also need an infrastructure to support them. And there's some things that that I heard this week as we made the appointment, which tell me that almost irrespective of how much a good old school manager Tony Pulis is, how much he gives a good press conference, how much he can, Paddy, to your point, you know, put a backbone in this squad of underachieving players. He's going to have his hands tied in the same way as pretty much every other manager has by the interference and the lack of infrastructure that exists behind the football club. Um, There was references to the fact that, for example, Gary Monk didn't have control ultimately over how player exits were handled in the summer. Um, that there were players he thought that were going to be continuing with Wednesday that didn't continue, that some players were re-signed that he didn't necessarily want. Now, that could be Gary Monk covering a little bit, or it could be indicators that that relationship with the chairman and the lack of a football infrastructure at Sheffield Wednesday is going to pretty much be an impediment for any manager coming in unless they have the staying power and they have the willingness to be a club builder to take this football club forward. And that's my reservation with Tony Pulis. I don't know that that's the job that he's here to do, that he wants to do. If he proves me wrong and he starts to lay the foundations for how we can work as in a different way, and I'm not necessarily talking about the Brentford scouting model and all of the kind of the feeder clubs. I'm just talking about the fundamentals of how we run the academy through the development squad, through the first team, how we deal with training, how we deal with sports science, how we deal with player recruitment, etc then maybe we've got a shot. But I'm I'm just not sure that he's the man that you would bring in to do that job. James, I'm constantly finding myself hoping I'm wrong with this fucking club. <laughs> <laughs> constantly just hoping that I anyone I have that negativity, that's a sense of I don't this doesn't smell right. I, I don't think this is gonna work. I, I would I would love to be proven wrong about Tony Pulis. Nothing would make me happier. So <clears throat> I think I think he wants to do that. I think he wants to look at the club holistically. He wants to find the common denominator that uh, is going wrong. 
whether he'll be allowed to change things is that point you make, James. That's the problem, right? It's the it's the control that Chancery wants over this club and what he sees as the manager's role. Um, now, what I think may be different between us, I think that's a very similar approach to what Bruce was wanting to do too, is to kind of, from the basics upwards, build a club. Um, and I think that Poulis seems to be, from the first impressions of him, someone that's going to challenge the chairman. Whether that works out well for him or not is yet to be seen. But I think he might say to him, look, we need to do this, this and this. If you don't, then we, we're fucked. And Chan Siri might as well, okay, bye then. I see, I see that's how, I honestly see this might happen in the next six to nine months is that they have a fallout and police walks out the door. That could happen. Um, it's probably more likely to happen than what I want to happen, which would be that police changes Chan Siri's uh, strategy and influences his plan and working on the club. Uh, I do think police could do that and would challenge Chan Siri based on what he said in the uh, press on Monday. Well, if there's one thing you say about Tony Pulis, he's a real charmer. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, really, but... I really liked him. I thought yeah, yeah, yeah. he was quite yeah. likable. In that, in that press conference, he was um, very personable to the journalists. He always referred to him by the first name. He got the name straight away and constantly referred back to that. Uh, he was very knowledgeable, obviously. He tried to drop a few Wednesday names in there. Clang, Don Megson, Clang, Gary Megson, Clang, <laughs> other people that I do. He was just like just trying to curry favor a lot, which is what you need to do in a press conference, isn't it? So... Uh, he did everything he's a, right. He's a pro. He's a pro. Yeah, he did. It, it was a great, it was a great start. Everything's right except for the thing that both Jeff and I separately notice. Uh, he's been on the training pitch at least twice now. Uh, where are the baseball hats? <laughs> where are the hats, Tony? Uh, maybe he's been unfairly pigeonholed as a baseball hat wearer, like he's been unfairly pigeonholed. <laughs> he's a long ball merchant. <laughs> <laughs> He's been doing both of those for 25 years. I think it's fair to pigeonhole him. He's a changed man. Maybe since his last job, he's lost the last two remaining hairs on his head and therefore he needs a bit of extra insulation. Paddy, you, you've made a good point there, which is that he did, he was charming in his press conference. Let's give him that credit. And he, he definitely made a good uh, good effort to kind of win over the fans. He used the PR buzzword that you know every incoming Sheffield Wednesday manager has to, the M word, several times. Um, and Paddy, you actually came up with a nickname for him. You've just been lovingly referring to him as a member of your family ever since, right? <laughs> Uncle Tony. Uncle Tony's anti-football football club. That's why I'm calling him as now. So uh, that's, I wanted to have merch made up saying anti-football football club is in the name of the whole kind of like anti-social social club thing. But apparently someone's already nicked that merch and uh, it's already available to buy. So I can't put Tony Pulis's name on it. We will not have breaking merch news. We will have some Wednesday news and some match previews after the break. Now it's time for some Wednesday news. And there isn't much Wednesday news to speak of coming off the international break, although it does appear that Massimo Luongo and Che Dunkley are, well, in Massimo Luongo's case, back in training, and in Che Dunkley's case, in training, Patty. Yeah, great to see. I think uh, that's the only real um, insights we got from those galleries that were happening from Pulis's first couple of days in charge. Um, Dunkley was on the Instagram. He was running. That's good, right? <laughs> Luongo was uh, Luongo's high-fiving people. I mean, so we know his wrists are strong. Um, that's all I can glean from this. <laughs> do, we, 
does anyone want to make any predictions on the two mystery injuries? Oh, I reckon um, defenders because all our defenders are always injured. Huh. Yeah, I don't it's guess. never like the most fit player at Sheffield Wednesday in the last four years is Joey Pelopassi. Never hurt. Never Joey Pelopassi. <laughs> it would be too good, good to be true if it was Joey Pelopassi, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, um, don't say that. We need someone in back there. I'm going to say Tom Lees yeah, and Dominic Iorfa to create a centre-back challenge for Tony Pulis in his first game. Damn you, James. Those, that out of your mouth. That's not a challenge. That's a nightmare. I'm going to say Kadeem Harris and Moses Odebajo. I know who it is. I've got the yeah. uh, theory now. It's uh, Cameron Dawson, Joe Wildsman. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have Lee so Bowen Martin as the reserve keeper. On, uh, I say Lee Bowen as the reserve keeper. Yeah. <laughs> That's the excuse playing Kieran Westwood. <sighs> the other Wednesday news is it sounds like Tony Pulis is getting his backroom staff in a little bit quicker than Gary Monk as Craig Gardner has become suddenly available. Uh, do we do we reckon we're going to see a Mego back at some point, James? Look, I think I'm, uh, I've probably pissed off just about everybody I can on this podcast now. So the one remaining cadre or segment of the population that isn't annoyed with me is people who love Gary Megson. Um, I hope fucking not, Jeff. No. <laughs> Uh, before, we, before we head into the match previews we do have some dispatches from Scottish soccer ah oh, no can we talk about Megson instead please <laughs> uh, Scotland has made their first major tournament since 1998 and it sounds like we're going to get Euro 2020 slash 2021 Panini cards for Liam Palmer and Callum Patterson yeah. That's James is giving me the thumbs up. Look, I, I, thumbs up. We have I, no comments for that. Yeah, I just do want to say that it, it's going to be really cool to see Liam Palmer playing in the Euros. It's it's Against cool. England it's cool too, yeah. right? Against England, that's, I think that's the exciting part of it. Is that um, we'll be playing Scotland versus England in the Euros. Yeah, and Liam so Palmer like will definitely Liam Palmer will definitely score a goal in hilarious fashion against England, probably. <laughs> I think that's the only thing that could get me excited by international football. If Liam Palmer recreates Gaza's goal in 1996, (laughs) no, it's just going to be a cross. It's just going to be a cross that goes into the net because Jordan Pickford's arms are too short. (laughs) (laughs) We once again have two match previews to go through as the very, very busy fixture season rolls on. We start with Preston North End at the weekend. And to preview that game from the New York North Enders, it's Matt. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Good. Uh, we will get into the game itself in a minute, but you have a very interesting soccer-related job. Yeah, I'm in the business myself of uh, training and coaching over here in the States and uh, do a little bit of consultancy now and again for uh, some of the players. Um between New, you know, New York and America and back home in England. So, yeah, I'm in the midst of it. Matt, have you ever um, tried to sneak a player over to Preston North End that you thought was looking good in America? Well, uh, <laughs> yes, we've had a few uh, opportunities <laughs> in the past. Uh, most recently, Jordan Morris of Seattle Sounders. Um, but the... Uh, extraordinary price tag on Jordan uh, was definitely out of Preston's uh, price range. So that was uh, good while it lasted for 30 seconds. 
I'm surprised Morris has stayed so long in MLS. He's been a great player for, for so long now for Seattle. Uh, has he has he got any ambitions to move outside of the MLS and try and make it in Europe too? I think he does. He's obviously a you know, well thought of player. Um, in my opinion, not a val- you know he's not the market value of what they wanted, but he's definitely got aspirations to move over to Europe and I do think that he will do well you know he's still young he's learning his trade and I definitely think he's uh you know he'll do well lower Premier League team maybe give or take so what what happened with the uh, Preston move then did they just just couldn't afford him yeah it was you know it wasn't just Preston that was interested it was loads of clubs interested but you know I think Preston were after a striker obviously you know, we'll get into it as we talk about the preview for Saturday's game. But Preston Roth, obviously, after a goal scorer, um, we've been struggling of late of scoring goals. And, you know, I feel that uh, he would have been a great signing, but it was just totally out of the price range for Preston and probably any championship team, to be honest with you. I will point out that struggling for goals, Preston has scored nine more goals this season so far than Sheffield Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. But it has been a little bit, uh, you know, up and down season, up and down form recently after, you know, uh, uh, I I would say Alex Neal probably had some, I don't know, punching above their weight is fair, but on the cusp of the playoffs in, in recent years, what's been going on so far in this season? Well, it's been a very up and down uh, season, really, guys. It's you know our home record has been absolutely atrocious. Um, our away record has been absolutely amazing. So you you get us on a good day on Saturday um, with Pulis's first game. Um, you know, to you know we've played five, lost five, and scored one and conceded seven at home. So for you statos out there, I think. You're playing us at a good time, to be honest with you. We're, we're without Alan Brown this weekend, who obviously played against England midweek, um, tested positive for COVID-19. So we're missing Brownie, and that's going to be a big miss. And, you know, I think it's going to be a, a tight game this Saturday. Can I uh, ask you, it's very strange. So when I was looking at Preston and saw your abysmal record at home versus away, I thought, Hey, that sounds really familiar. Didn't they do that last year? Last year, you did the exact opposite, and you were outstanding at home and terrible on the road. What is the sort of general fan base? Is there any theory as to what this is? Is it chalked up to pure luck? Because it's it's the pattern is starting to develop. It's quite strange. Yeah, it's a great pickup, JD. Welcome to being a Preston fan. Um, <laughs> it's... Honestly, it's just, you know, again, welcome to being a championship fan, right? It's one of the toughest leagues in the world, in my opinion. I know we both support a team in the championship, but it's such a tough league, you know? Home records, away records, last season, two seasons before. Last season, we did okay. We were, you know, we were nearly at the playoffs. We messed up with a few games to go, but we just can't, it's consistency. And, you know, like you say, Jeff, Alex Neal, he's been there three years now. He's done a very good job with, in fairness to him, with what he's been dealt with. And he's not been given a lot of money to spend. However, this home record and away record this year has just been, I I can't explain it. I honestly, how can you be top of the league in away form and bottom of the league in home form? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. So you're playing as a, 
the right time for you guys anyway, I think. You mentioned um, you brought you know, how much, people, much money to spend. Have you brought anyone of note in over the, over the um, off-season? Well, we signed a, a Danish forward, a Big Reese, um, from a Premier League Danish side. One and a half million. Obviously, they were trying to sign, obviously, the striker a few months ago when I was trying to help and other people were, you know, trying to throw names at Preston to see if it would be a good fit. But Reese has been a big signing for us. Obviously, Scotty Sinclair. Um, we signed him last season, so he's had a full preseason with us. He's been on fire, in fairness. He actually scored two against you in the 3-1 win at Hillsborough um, yeah, when name. we met last time. His name's synonymous with Wednesday. I feel like I know, I know Sinclair. He's like, well, he must be, must be early 30s now, right, Sinclair? He's yeah. exactly 30. Yeah, he's 30. Yeah, he's 30, got five, five goals for you this year. It, it looks like you're using that 4-2-3-1 with, with him and Alan Brown and Brad Potts as the three, you know, up front and real aggressive. And it is, from just from the research I was doing, you are missing that guy up front. You bring in Jakobsen, who... The big Reese, as you call them, uh, one goal. And that's not uh, – I looked last year uh, – I'm sorry for mispronouncing, but uh, Johnson and uh, Bark, Barkusen? Barkusen, yeah, Barkusen. Yeah, uh, they combined for 21 goals last season, which is – you're missing a lot of that, it looks like, up front this year. Yeah, we are. It's Again, it's another great spot, J.D. And Daniel Johnson has just scored for Jamaica um, on his Jamaican debut uh, – this afternoon, so he'll be flying back, ready to play. Um, Johnson's a great player. We got him from Villa. Um, fantastic footwork, reads the game really well. Um, but it, with Preston, it's just again any given day. Like we beat Brentford away for four one, four two. Right, Brentford. How was that comeback? Right, you weren't you yeah. down two nothing? Yeah, two two nil down. We ended up beating them four four one, four four two. Whatever. I can't remember exactly. Um, yeah, but it's um, it's unbelievable, and I really do feel that pre- we have some class players in fairness. And you'll watch the game Saturday. You look at Big Reese; he holds the ball up well. He's powerful. He's strong. Uh, great momentum. He's an athlete. Like got a great shot on him from what I've saw in the past couple of games. And then you've got obviously Sinclair on one wing. Usually he doesn't play Sinclair with Barkusen, which is worrisome to me. Barky's been on the bench recently. But uh, I, I don't think Alex Neal knows his best 11, and that's part of the problem. What kind of um, style of play you got at the moment under Alex Neal? Because I think um, you got you playing some good football last season, I remember uh, when seen against you. Um, is it similar kind of style this year too? Yeah, I don't think the style, uh, style's changed, mate. It's been, you know, get the ball down, play out the back, you know, try and get the ball to Pearson. Obviously, you all know Ben Pearson loves a yellow card, so uh, that'll, prob- <laughs> that'll probably happen on Saturday. Uh, and then just get the ball down, get it wide, get it down the flanks, uh, you know, get it to the big man when we can. But it's very, it's weird, you know, like anything. If we're if we're one one nil up, we may just start oofing it again and playing it back. If we're two nil down, we'll just go straight long. So we have got a few different styles, but. I know Alex likes to play play football, you know, like what like we all do. So it'll be interesting to see how Tony uh, Pulis <laughs> figures it out on Saturday because of his defensive long ball strategies against Preston. Yeah, he was um, 
is already playing that down. He said he's been uh, wrongly pigeonholed in his presser this this week, saying that uh, he plays the players' strengths. Apparently, apparently, uh, most of his teams don't have strengths. <laughs> <laughs> Always seems to have a six-four forward up front, though that doesn't run real well. <laughs> is that Adam Reach though with you boys? Yeah. I mean, in body. To be fair. Uh, <laughs> They moved him back to left wing back at the beginning of the season, and he looked more like the player that sort of shown two, three years ago. But they have him kind of playing in a midfield three now, which has never really suited him. So I'm yeah. curious to see what Pulis does if he just sort of plays him in a. I, I assume he's going to play him in like a four four two, and he just plays him in a flat left wing or something like that. Richie was all staples him to the bench, <laughs> or that. Richie was on loan to us. Uh, did really well, actually. Uh, played him left wing many years, well, four or five years ago, maybe. But he had a great spell at Preston. The Preston fans loved him. Um, his attacking flair and, you know, shots from 20, 25 yards. So we we loved having him. Very attacking player. He was good. Did he score against you in his first game, like, in against you uh, in, the, like, the 90th minute to equalize that time? Was it 2-2, maybe, like, th- th- three years ago? Yeah, I think he did score in the last minute. I don't think he celebrated, though. <laughs> oh, I think he did. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's, let's have your prediction for today, mate. Um, and also kind of like, I suppose, what your, first of all, what are your ambitions for this season for Preston? Do you think, you get, is it playoffs or bust? Uh, and uh, kind of like a chat about the game itself Saturday. What do you think is going to happen Saturday as well? Yeah, well, I did a poll last night, told the Preston community that I'll be coming on joining you guys. So the scores are in on the poll. Um, (laughs) 67% of the Prestonians think it's going to be a Preston win. And the rest think it's going to be a draw or a uh, win for you guys. So that's kind of split down the middle for that part. Personally, I think it's going to be a draw. um, But our home record is woeful. So I wouldn't be surprised if you did beat us. But I do think it's going to be a draw. Um, expectations this year. Listen, again, it's the championship. I touched on it at the start of our conversation. Um, it's a very, very tough league. I'd be very happy with playoffs, to be honest with you. Um, but listen, again, I, I take my hat off to Alex um, and, the, and the guys behind the scenes. We've just got that new training ground off Wigan. Obviously, Premier League standard. Um, all the behind-the-scenes work seems to be done and in place we're just missing that team now to go with it um and i'm not saying that the players i'm saying the team to get on a run and get you know performances right and results every weekend but i'll be happy with the playoffs this year does does this um and maybe this is striking too close to home for us but does this feel like preston and you guys have had a plan going forward you're you're a club that was in League One for a while. I think you did a yo-yo briefly. Um, But you've been a pretty consistent championship team for three, four years now, whatever it's been. And does this feel like you guys have been building to something? Because the way you're describing it, upgrading facilities and you've got the right manager in maybe who's starting to get it, perhaps who gets some investment. Does this, do you guys feel like you've got a plan to get to the top or is it, you know, are you you know, feeling a little lost on the big picture stuff. I definitely feel uh, there's a plan, JD. I, I feel there's a huge plan behind the scenes. Obviously, the owner, Trevor Hemmings, is, you know, pumps 
X amount of money in and kept the club alive. Um, the training ground's been purchased from Wigan. Um, and the plans which Peter Risdale and Trevor obviously have in the background from a business point, I believe, is in place and going strong. Um, but the problem with Preston is it, we just can't seem to get that consistency. And consistency has got to be key in the championship. Um, and I feel that everything's in place. I just feel we need a run now. Like, we do need a run. We have to turn our home, home form around, number one. That's most important. But I feel that we just need to get going. But, I, I, yeah, you can see with the plans that they've had in the past couple of years, there's definitely been a short-term plan. But long-term plan, obviously, we all want Premier League, right? Um, let's see who gets there first. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. No, I'm incredibly jealous now. So, <laughs> Why that? Yeah, just, plan. Ha- just, oh, ha- just, just having a... <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, a new, let's, not, let's not get into that. Just we having a new training that. ground where your players don't constantly get injured at. <laughs> what are your guys' predictions for Saturday? I, I feel uh, like you get the you get the Tony Pulis new manager bounce and they get an ugly one nil. I'd take that. I'd take that. But we are very good at um giving seeding late, yeah. But also giving teams on bad runs in certain spells a leg up. So if you haven't won at home, we will certainly give you a win at home. That's what happens all the time. Like we, if the if a team has won for thirteen games, it's happened several times. We will give them that win. Uh, we're just so generous. We're good at breaking the <laughs> yeah. Well, I do expect a scrappy game. Honestly, um, listen, we do play good football in fairness, and but again, we're missing Alan Brown, um, Ben Davis, Husey, our left back from Peterborough. Uh, we're missing some decent players for Saturday. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that, and obviously. Daniel Johnson just getting back from international duty or probably what land tomorrow or Thursday uh, back in the UK. And then, you know, we'll see what happens there, but we're definitely relying on Sinclair to get a few or one and big Reese up top will score against you on Saturday. I hope. <laughs> All right, Matt, thanks for previewing Preston and good luck the rest of the season. Yeah. Cheers. You two guys have a good night. Cheers, Matt. Cheers. Fixtures keep on coming. We head to Wednesday in a midweek tilt with Swansea City. And we are heading outside of the five boroughs down to, well, well, North Carolina by way of the DC Jacks. It's David. David, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. So Swansea off to a pretty good start this year uh, in a playoff position as we chat on the pod, uh, seems like I will confess not having watched a ton of Swansea city games this year, but, uh, 13 goals scored seven allowed in 11 games, uh, keeping it pretty tight so far. Yeah. Um, definitely the back has been a strong point for us. There were a lot of worries when we lost sort of our, star uh, academy um prodigy joe roden to tottenham uh, in the in the transfer window we were afraid he was going to be hard to replace um we also had a, another young academy product ben cabongo step in who's done well and at center back and then we also retained 
um, Mark Gay from uh, Chelsea on loan again after having him for the last six months last year. Um, but we replaced Roden with uh, Bennett from Wolves, who had Premier League experience with Wolverhampton, but had fallen out of favor, I guess, the last season or so. But he stepped in fine, and we've been playing three at the back for pretty much all of this season, aside from maybe one half. And that's done well for us, and we haven't really missed a beat at center back after losing Roden to Spurs. So definitely the back line's been solid for us. And having Freddie Woodman back on loan from Newcastle uh, between the sticks has been been uh, strong. He's done well again this year. So I do want to, before we get into sort of the 2020-2021 the season, take you back to the last day of the season because I just reminded myself that uh, – Swansea got into the playoffs on the last day of the season on goal difference over Nottingham Forest. What was that like? That was one of the craziest uh, two hours, really 20 minutes of, I don't know, any Swansea fan experience I can remember outside of maybe the one high watermark of Bob Bradley's tenure when we beat um, Crystal Palace, I think 5-4 with like, seven goals being scored in the last 20 minutes or something that that after that this this probably uh tops that um it was pretty incredible they knew we needed like a five goal differential turnaround on the last match day with Nottingham Forest and that was a more likely prospect than getting a win and having Cardiff lose to Hull who had pretty much already given up on the season and you know we're surefire for relegation at that point um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was almost a miracle they pulled off and then somehow, uh, Nottingham Forest just imploded the last two weeks of the season and that last match too, I think were they playing Reading and I think they lost by the same margin that we won. So we actually had a goal to spare and had a six goal turnaround on the last like 20 minutes of both matches. So that was pretty incredible just to sneak into the last playoff spot on the last day. A pair of four to ones, I think, right? Something on those lines. It was either like four to one or five to one. I can't remember now. It's we different. we had a Fulham uh, guy on leading into that. We did a pod uh, before the end of the year. We had a Fulham guy or a, uh, I'm sorry, a Forest guy on. And he was sort of saying, oh, well, we're, you know, we're not looking great, but I, I think we squeak in there. After all, right. we take a, Six-point swing on the last day. <laughs> exactly. And we all laughed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, hey, could you uh, actually talk just a little bit about uh, Ben Cabango? Because I, I've i been a big Joe Roden fan, and I, I know the deal with Spurs really went down to the last minute. Nobody was sure it was going to happen. And, and that seems like uh, – I, I couldn't figure out why Swansea was selling him. I guess it's fair to – give him his shot. Uh, He'd he'd been a good servant for the club and move on. But given how close you were this year, it seemed like this is the year to ride a guy like that. Um, He goes, and then from everything I've seen and read, Cabango at 20 years old steps right in and is, I don't want to say seamless because they're not quite the same player, but has really fit right in. So – Cabango stepped into a starting role late last season um, and had been playing regularly 
for in and out of uh, much of last season. And Cooper went to a three-back system that featured Roden in the middle, uh, Kabongo, I think, on the right, uh, left, and um, Gay on the right of center back. Um, and we were worried – well, the Roden saga is complicated uh, – the general summary is most Swans fans were really upset that we allowed Levy and Spurs to basically set a price and hold us, you know, our feet to the fire until the end of the transfer window and take what we thought was a cut rate price for them. But was it about, about 15 million? Was it somewhere? 15 11, million yeah, 11 million if all add-ons sorry. are met, but it, it, it's like 11 guaranteed with 15 after add-ons, which they'll likely meet all add-ons eventually, but still with no, he's twice with, that. He could be twice that. Uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Um, the problem is Roden. So Roden had a year and a half left on his contract and fans don't really know. Swans fans don't really know what our books looked like in terms of finances after COVID, whether, we could afford to ride out another transfer window and bank on being able to sell Roden in January or next summer for more, or if we were to have less, less leverage with um, his contract being up within a season. The other thing is Roden had suffered an injury at the beginning of the season. So there was some risk that he might get injured again. And then lastly, Spurs, before this and during the offseason, Pilford Swan's chairman. Um, so he is now running the show at is the chairman of the board for Spurs, and he knew our finances in and out. And if anybody knew what we could afford or couldn't afford, he did. So we didn't have probably as much bargaining leverage as we normally would have liked. Um, but what was encouraging, even though we lost Roden, Unlike other recent transfer windows, that money definitely went back into the squad, and we really did reinvest to uh, fill out some squad depth in areas where we were lacking. So we replaced Roden with Bennett from Wolves. We um, got Manning for almost nothing from QPR to back up at left back where we were um, without any uh, coverage for Jake Bidwell, and we got uh, – we got an attack fielder on loan from Bristol City. Uh, um, uh, why is his name? Casey Palmer. So we got a few players right at the end of the transfer window that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten had we kept Roden. And this season, unlike probably other seasons, squad depth is really at a premium because you're going to need to be able to rotate players in and out when you're having three match weeks almost every other week of the season right so that was important i think it it ended up being a better window than we thought it would be when we were worried just about losing road and, and not bringing anybody else in what what kind of impact does uh morgan gibbs white had I, I know he's a he's a legitimate talent um i know wolves doesn't quite have room for him but how's he fitting into your midfield he was fitting in great at the beginning of the season. Uh, he he filled in at uh, – or slotted in, I should say, not filled in at attacking mid in the number 10 position. And we had Connor Gallagher last season playing there mm. on loan from Chelsea, who was great. To be honest, Gallagher was a little out of his position. 
Gallagher was more of a box-to-box midfielder that we had put in a number 10 spot and moved out um, person Selena, who had been our playmaker in that role. And he basically got pushed to left wing and then to the bench in favor of Gallagher. Gallagher was great. He was one of the main contributors that got us into the playoffs late in the season. But um, he, I think he's now at West Brom on loan from Chelsea because they wanted him playing the Premier League this year. So then Cooper, who our manager, who had been the uh, under-17s manager for England when they won uh, an age-grade World Cup, he has all these connections for players at, you know, top six PL clubs that he had managed uh, uh, earlier on in their careers. And Morgan Gibbs-White was one of them, and he brought him in after – you know, not getting much playing time at Wolves just because they have such a stocked uh, squad. But he came in here and was a goal creator right away. Unfortunately, uh, I think right at the last international window, he got hurt in training. Uh, So he's out until at least January, if not longer. Um, So we brought in Casey Palmer on loan from Bristol City, who wasn't getting much playing time there. And we also had Jan Donda, another one uh, from a former Liverpool Academy player who's starting to get more playing time uh, in the attacking mid-roll. But certainly we'll be looking forward to Gibbs White coming back um, in January or February, assuming that Wolves lends him back to us after he recovers. Um, Speaking of Cabango, again, I didn't answer your question he actually picked up an injury right before the last match. So we're hoping he comes back healthy, but uh, he hasn't been playing for Wales during the international break because he still has an injury, but he sh- we're hoping he'll be healthy again before the weekend. Bango, that typical Welsh surname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it looks like uh, that, that number 10 role behind the front two is, is Cooper's Coop is really big on, on on being able to feed balls up front to obviously uh, Andre Ayu is uh, in pretty good form right now. I, I saw he had a, a pretty amazing goal uh, on international duty this week. Uh, yeah, he's been uh, he's, he's been the guy for you this year. Well, to continue this theme, uh, he also just picked up an injury in training for Ghana the other day after scoring that goal. So it's he's, he was held out of Ghana's next uh, <laughs> match. So it's up. It's we'll see whether he comes back healthy. He's had uh, a history of picking up hamstring pulls and quad pulls, but he seems to recover from them. So we're hoping he'll be back. But yeah, he's been counting on to score goals for us. Um, Another one of our most important loan players last year was Ryan uh, Brewster from Liverpool, who is now uh, at Sheffield United. You guys probably know that. Um, He scored all the goals for us up top last season, and we didn't really bring in a direct replacement striker. We brought in uh, Jamal Lowe from Wigan at a cut rate deal, but he's not really a a target man. He's more suited to playing – out wide in a three-man front or in a partnership up top. And he's been partnering with IU some because IU, again, is not really – he's a good finisher. He's a good playmaker and creator. He's great at holding up the ball, but he's never really been, you know, a a true number nine target player. So um, 
having that striker, we don't really have the striker role that we had last year with Brewster. And we've been playing around with playing a three, five, two with IU and Jamal Lowe up top and sometimes playing a three, four, three with three sort of attacking players, none of which being an out and out striker. Um, But that, that will still sort of be a mystery for us throughout the season, how we'll, approach sort of the striker role and especially if I use out at all who knows where goals will come from um because we don't have any clear-cut players to fill that role how do you how do you think Swansea will perform against a uh low block long ball 442 uh fully defensive formation just asking for a friend uh, well, uh, is Cardiff coming up soon? Or no, uh, <laughs> oh, the new the, the new Cardiff's in town. Have you not heard? It's called Sheffield yeah, Wednesday. Right. Right. Um, Uncle Tony's uh, in charge. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So, one of the the sort of uh, nibbles niggles that Swans fans have had about Cooper or Nitsa pick with him has been um, his reluctance reluctance to change shape or change tactics mid game when he sees things not working often against, you know, defensive blocked in sides and he's reluctant to make subs. He's reluctant to change formation. Um, And oftentimes we play both down to lower opponents and we play up to better opponents, but the last few games, he's made more of an effort to change things at halftime or before the 65th minute, which has come as a welcome salvation for Swans fans who are always banging our heads against the wall that he never makes subs. He never changes shape. But I'm hoping he'll be more prepared for these sort of dogfights against teams that uh, are trying to lock it in or park the bus or get numbers behind the ball because we – We've often looked clueless trying to unlock those teams last season, and hopefully we have a better idea how to do it this year. But I don't know. That seems to be an effective strategy against us sometimes, and we don't know how to change things up when we can't just pass our way through them. So, yeah, I mean, that's an effective strategy against us, or it has been, but we'll see if we've learned our lessons yet. So, all right, let's push you for a prediction on Wednesday and then we can uh, let you get on your way for the night. So uh, thanks for joining us, David. So what do you think um, is going to happen on Wednesday night? Well, um, we've actually had two of our better performances uh, without results the last two matches going into the international break. Um, we uh, lost to Norwich City 1-0, but that was one of our best performances of the season. We felt unlucky, and I know we'll be – pushing hard to rebound from that and get towards the top of the table again. I think they're going to be pretty hungry to win uh, and not drop two points and play for a draw. I think definitely they're going to try to win. The question is, are they going to have IU there? Um, If IU's back and he's playing uh, up top, I would predict we should win uh, maybe 2-0. If he's not playing, I expect it will be more like – nil-nil or we'd lose uh, one-nil because when we don't score goals, sometimes we concede one late after not creating chances and allowing teams to stay in the game. So it, it really could come down to whether I use healthy in the lineup. And if he is, I like our chances. If he's not, I don't know that we have 
uh, a real source for goals. And I think, you know, we can be beat even when we're playing well, just for not having goal production up to the top. Um, let me ask one, one final Steve Cooper question. Cause from everything I see, I, I, you know, he's, he's obviously you, you alluded to a success with the England U17 team and, and Swansea obviously had a great run last year and I thought played some really good football, but He's a pretty strange looking man. And what what is it do you think that he smells that smells so bad that leaves him <laughs> in that position to always make that look? Who's uh, the one that had two well, old fashions already on this podcast? <laughs> he looks like Willie McGee. Alzheimer Cox. The hot in question. His father was a referee in the EFL, so clearly that has to have some effect on your <laughs> the, upbringing. The, the state of EFL officiating right. remains on. Fair <laughs> yeah. enough. Great answer. Great answer, Dave. <laughs> uh, Dave, thanks so much, man. All right. Thanks for having me. We'll speak Good soon. Good luck with Tony Poulos. Uh, <laughs> hope that works out for you guys. I'm We're sure. just glad that he didn't get nabbed for the Wales job uh, with gigs potentially <sighs> on his way out. We were all <laughs> crossing our fingers hoping that they don't go for Tony Pullitt. So we hope he does well for you guys and he feels secure there. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, man. Real vote of confidence. Do we have any other business? Um, I think New Orleans might be going together this weekend. Um, our, our man with the meetups is on it this week, folks. <laughs> I haven't got a text from Jamie yet. Uh, check the Twitters and the Facebook. Um, they, I don't think there's going to be a New York meetup, um, but we might do something online. Uh, the North End, uh, Matt, wanted to do something, so we'll see what happens there. Again, check our New York. It's going to fall on me to set up, isn't it? Um, possibly. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah, know what I'm doing this, this week. I've just realized I'm going to be driving during the Swansea game because it's on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I'm going down to Virginia. Well, the good news is they're on the road, so you'll get updates on Doncaster, Rotherham. God. <laughs> My wife's going to be so happy about Barnsley. that. Barnsley. On a five-hour get, car journey. <laughs> you'll get 10 minutes of commentary from Barnsley as our game wraps up. That'll be yeah. fine. You've been listening to episode 114 of the Owls Americast. Find us on the internet, owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. And find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesday nights Reverend of the Makers. Podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review our show. So it helps more Wednesday nights find our ramblings. Justin is on Twitter at New England Owl. Justin, what are you thankful for this year? Thankful for being alive. Thankful for having football on the telly. Thankful for getting to be with family and, and friends. And even though, you know, a lot of it will be virtual, it's been a, it's been a pretty tough year for everybody. Um, and I think I've probably been luckier than a lot of people, but uh, still doesn't mean you can't, you know, stop and be, be grateful for the things that we do have. So thankful for quite a bit. Thanks for asking. Yeah. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, what are you thankful for this year? Yeah, you can't really go humorous after Justin delivers a line like that, right? Um, I mean, you can. What What a year. 
Um, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that we got our national meetup in before lockdown. So it feels like an eternity ago, but it was February. The, the death days of February before everybody realized what we were actually dealing with and all of us were together in New Orleans. And to have that time together with fans across America, to have that camaraderie that we carried through this whole experience and we've been able to you know, sustain through zoom calls and quiz nights and podcasts and virtual meetups has been amazing um so that was that was a real privilege because in a year of a lot of lows that was a real high so you're saying you're thankful for dingbats james (laughs) 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 patty is on twitter at patty a jones and at new york owls patty what are you thankful for this year Uh, obviously i'm thankful for tony poulis saving (laughs) our season and our lives and taking us to HMS Pistol League. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Petternostro, and I'm thankful for the fact that we might actually not do a podcast on the holiday week next week. We probably will. And I'm thankful to meet up with any or all of these suckers to talk about Wednesday's two one nil victories. 